0: The three detectives had many matters of detail in which to inquire, so I returned alone to our modest quarters at the village inn. But before doing so, I took a stroll in the curious old world garden which flanked the house. Rows of very ancient yew trees cut into strange designs girded it round. Inside was a beautiful stretch of lawn with an old sundial in the middle, the whole effect so soothing and restful, that it was welcome to my somewhat jangled nerves. In that deeply peaceful atmosphere, one could forget, or remember only as some fantastic nightmare, that darkened study with the sprawling, blood-stained figure on the floor. And yet, as I strolled round it and tried to steep my soul in its gentle balm, a strange incident occurred, which brought me back to the tragedy and left a sinister impression in my mind. I have said that a decoration of yew trees circled the garden. At the end farthest from the house, they thickened into a continuous hedge. On the other side of this hedge, concealed from the eyes of anyone approaching from the direction of the house, there was a stone seat. As I approached the spot, I was aware of voices, some remark in the deep tones of a man, answered by a little ripple of feminine laughter. An instant later, I had come round the end of the hedge, and my eyes lit upon Mrs. Douglas and the man Barker before they are aware of my presence. Her appearance gave me a shock. In the dining-room she had been demure and discreet. Now all pretense of grief had passed away from her. Her eyes shone with the joy of living, and her face still quivered with amusement at some remark of her companion. He sat forward, his hands clasped and his forearms on his knees, with an answering smile upon his bold, handsome face. In an instant, but it was just one instant too late, they resumed their solemn masks as my figure came into view. A hurried word or two passed between them, and then Barker rose and came towards me. "'Excuse me, sir,' said he, "'but am I addressing Dr. Watson?' I bowed with a coldness which showed, I dare say very plainly, the impression which had been produced upon my mind. "'We thought that it was probably you, "'as your friendship with Mr. Sherlock Holmes is so well known. "'Would you mind coming over and speaking to Mrs. Douglas for one instant?' "'I followed him with a dour face. "'Very clearly I could see in my mind's eye that shattered figure on the floor.' Here, within a few hours of the tragedy, were his wife and his nearest friend laughing together behind a bush in the garden which had been his. I greeted the lady with reserve. I had grieved with her grief in the dining room. Now I met her appealing gaze with an unresponsive eye. I fear that you should think me callous and hard hearted, said she. I shrugged my shoulders. "'It is no business of mine,' said I. "'Perhaps some day you will do me justice, "'if you only realized—' "'There is no need why Dr. Watson should realize,' said Barker quickly. "'As he has himself said, it is no possible business of his.' "'Exactly,' said I, "'and so I will beg leave to resume my walk.' "'One moment, Dr. Watson,' cried the woman in a pleading voice." "'There is one question which you can answer with more authority "'than anyone else in the world, "'and it may make a very great difference to me. "'You know Mr. Holmes and his relations with the police "'better than anyone else can. "'Supposing that a matter were brought confidentially to his knowledge, "'is it absolutely necessary that he should pass it on to the detectives?' "'Yes, that's it,' said Barker eagerly. "'Is he on his own, or is he entirely in with them?' I really don't know that I should be justified in discussing such a point. I beg, I implore that you will, Dr. Watson. I assure you that you will be helping us, helping me greatly, if you will guide us on that point. There is such a ring of sincerity in the woman's voice that for the instant I forgot all about her levity and was moved only to do her will. Mr. Holmes is an independent investigator, I said, "'he is his own master, and would act, as his own judgment directed. "'At the same time, he would naturally feel loyalty towards the officials "'who are working on the same case, "'and he would not conceal from them anything "'which would help them in bringing a criminal to justice. "'Beyond this, I can say nothing, "'and I would refer you to Mr. Holmes himself "'if you wanted fuller information.' "'So saying, I raised my hat and went upon my way,' "'leaving them still seated behind that concealing hedge. "'I looked back as I rounded the far end of it "'and saw that they were still talking very earnestly together, "'and, as they were gazing after me, "'it was clear that it was our interview "'that was the subject of their debate. "'I wish none of their confidences,' said Holmes, "'when I reported to him what had occurred. "'He had spent the whole afternoon at the manor house, "'in consultation with his two colleagues,' and returned about five with a ravenous appetite for a high tea which I had ordered for him. No confidences, Watson, for they are mighty awkward if it comes to an arrest for conspiracy and murder. You think it will come to that? He was in his most cheerful and debonair humor. My dear Watson, when I have exterminated that fourth egg, I shall be ready to put you in touch with the whole situation. I don't say that we have fathomed it, Far from it. But when we have traced the missing dumbbell... The dumbbell? Dear me, Watson, is it possible that you have not penetrated the fact that the case hangs upon the missing dumbbell? Well, well, you need not be downcast, for between ourselves, I don't think that either Inspector Mack or the excellent local practitioner has grasped the overwhelming importance of this incident. One dumbbell, Watson... Consider an athlete with one dumbbell. Picture to yourself the unilateral development, the imminent danger of a spinal curvature. Shocking, Watson, shocking. He sat with his mouth full of toast and his eyes sparkling with mischief, watching my intellectual entanglement. The mere sight of his excellent appetite was an assurance of success, for I had very clear recollections of days and nights without a thought of food, when his baffled mind had chafed before some problem, while his thin, eager features became more attenuated with the aestheticism of complete mental concentration. Finally, he lit his pipe, and sitting in the ingle-nook of the old village inn, he talked slowly and at random about his case, rather as one who thinks aloud than as one who makes a considered statement. "'A lie, Watson,' A great, big, thumping, obtrusive, uncompromising lie. That's what meets us on the threshold. There is our starting point. The whole story told by Barker is a lie. But Barker's story is corroborated by Mrs. Douglas. Therefore, she is lying also. They are both lying and in a conspiracy. So now we have the clear problem. Why are they lying, and what is the truth which they are trying so hard to conceal? Let us try, Watson, you and I, if we can get behind the lie and reconstruct the truth. How do I know that they are lying? Because it is a clumsy fabrication which simply could not be true. Consider. According to the story given to us, the assassin had less than a minute after the murder had been committed to take that ring, which was under another ring, from the dead man's finger, to replace the other ring a thing which he would surely never have done, and to put that singular card beside his victim. I say that this was obviously impossible. You may argue, but I have too much respect for your judgment, Watson, to think that you will do so. That the ring may have been taken before the man was killed. The fact that the candle had been lit only a short time shows that there had been no lengthy interview. Was Douglas, from what we hear of his fearless character, a man who would be likely to give up his wedding ring at such short notice. Or could we conceive of his giving it up at all? No, no, Watson. The assassin was alone with the dead man for some time with the lamplit. Of that, I have no doubt at all. But the gunshot was apparently the cause of death. Therefore, the shot must have been fired sometime earlier than we are told. But there could be no mistake about such a matter as that. We are in the presence, therefore, of a deliberate conspiracy upon the part of the two people who heard the gunshot, of the man Barker and of the woman Douglas. When on the top of this I am able to show that the blood mark on the sill was deliberately placed there by Barker, in order to give a false clue to the police, you will admit that the case grows dark against him. Now, we have to ask ourselves at what hour the murder actually did occur. Up to half-past ten, the servants were moving about the house, so it was certainly not before that time. At a quarter to eleven, they had all gone to their rooms, with the exception of Ames, who was in the pantry. I have been trying some experiments after you left us this afternoon, and I find that no noise which MacDonald can make in the study can penetrate to me in the pantry when the doors are all shut. It is otherwise, however, from the housekeeper's room. It is not so far down the corridor, and from it I could vaguely hear a voice when it was very loudly raised. The sound from a shotgun is to some extent muffled when the discharge is at very close range, as it undoubtedly was in this instance. It would not be very loud. And yet, in the silence of the night, it should have easily penetrated to Mrs. Allen's room. She is, as she has told us, somewhat deaf, but nonetheless she mentioned in her evidence that she did hear something like a door slamming half an hour before the alarm was given. Half an hour before the alarm was given would be a quarter to eleven. I have no doubt that what she heard was the report of the gun and that this was the real instant of the murder. If this is so, we have now to determine what Barker and Mrs. Douglas, presuming that they are not the actual murderers, "'could have been doing from quarter to eleven "'when the sound of the shot brought them down "'until quarter past eleven "'when they rang the bell and summoned the servants. "'What were they doing, "'and why did they not instantly give the alarm? "'That is the question which faces us, "'and when it has been answered "'we shall surely have gone some way to solve our problem.' "'I am convinced myself,' said I, that there is an understanding between those two people. She must be a heartless creature to sit laughing at some jest within a few hours of her husband's murder. Exactly. She does not shine as a wife, even in her own account of what occurred. I am not a whole-souled admirer of womankind, as you are aware, Watson, but my experience of life has taught me that there are few wives, having any regard for their husbands, who would let any man's spoken word stand between them and that husband's dead body. Should I ever marry Watson, I should hope to inspire my wife with some feeling which would prevent her from being walked off by a housekeeper when my corpse was lying within a few yards of her. It was badly stage-managed, for even the rawest investigators must be struck by the absence of the usual feminine ululation, If there had been nothing else... This incident alone would have suggested a prearranged conspiracy to my mind. You think then definitely that Barker and Mrs. Douglas are guilty of the murder? There is an appalling directness about your questions, Watson, said Holmes, shaking his pipe at me. They come at me like bullets. If you put it that Mrs. Douglas and Barker know the truth about the murder and are conspiring to conceal it, then I can give you a whole souled answer. I'm sure they do, but your more deadly proposition is not so clear. Let us for a moment consider the difficulties which stand in the way. I'm sure they do, but your more deadly proposition is not so clear. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure, it's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.